Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective, featuring the friars from St. Patrick Church in Columbus. And now, Dominican Dimensions. Welcome to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by Father Peter John Cameron and Father Stephen Dominic Hayes. Let's begin by invoking the prayers of Our Lady. Hail Mary, full Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Today our topic is the virtue of hope. Hope is, on the one hand, an ordinary um, feeling that we have, but there's something more than that, isn't there, Father Hayes, when we're thinking about hope from a Christian perspective? Well, from a Christian perspective, I mean, I think the first meaning we have, although it's it's hard for us to remember occasionally sometimes, is uh, the theological virtue of hope. So, I mean, we can talk about our hopes as earthly hopes, which may be attained or not attained, but... uh, those are expectations, those are wishes, those are even, you know, products of passions, you know. Mm-hmm. But theological hope is something radically different, and it is a, a virtue whose uh, origin, motive, and end is God himself. And that is, uh, and it's the second of the theological virtues. So the thing about the theological virtues is that they, are, they do not come to us naturally. They are the active gifts of God. They come by sheer grace, uh, and they they come at his will, and they manifest themselves in uh, different ways over our lives. But, you know, they are certainly given to us in the course of our baptism. So sometimes that's a revelation. For instance, I mean, a catechumen, for instance, who is, uh, you know, before he, they're baptized at the Easter Vigil, they're still living with faith. I mean, theological faith is operative, and in other ways, they wouldn't be looking for, for baptism. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but by baptism, we know we certainly have had these seeds of virtue planted in us. Now, and the work of parents, ideally, and children is to have these grow. So not only to grow in that truth, that first truth speaking to us, which is faith, not only to pour ourselves out in imitation of the love of Christ through the gift of the Holy Spirit in uh, that charity which, to which we're called, but there's also this, this, uh, this virtue in which uh, we have Christ. You know, Christ becomes the object, the the person who proves all the truths of what we have. In whom is our expectation? In whom is our hope? Uh, and especially uh, with regard to those things that are part of the life we share with Him now after baptism. That is, he was born, I've been preaching about this during the Christmas season, but, you know, as, as uh, the baby was born in Bethlehem, that he might die in Jerusalem. In moving with purpose throughout his whole life, we've been caught up into that purpose, into that story. And in that, we have a sure and certain hope. It, it was really my idea to bring up um, hope as our topic, because at this moment in the in uh, the history of the world, we're going through uh, a crisis where 
We need hope like never before, but really we always need hope. Uh, but at this, this particular juncture, there's, there is a great temptation, I think, on the part of many people to a kind of a hopelessness and to a despair and to just uh, giving in to uh, a negativity, even a kind of a fatalism. And, and the, the, the one salvation for us is being able to hold on to this gift from heaven, which is hope. A few years ago, hope was right at the focus of the church's uh, life when the then Pope Benedict XVI published an encyclical on hope. And he tapped into something that really we know is a truth, no, whether or not we are believers in God and people of faith, we, we know it's a fact. And, and it's this, that I can't really live for five minutes unless there's something to live for. I'm always looking for something more, capital S, capital M. And I'm convinced that there's something on the horizon waiting for me that is beckoning me, that is leading me on, that I'm destined for. And Christians have this in a particular way because, as Father Hayes said, of of their baptism. So Pope Benedict in that encyclical says, a distinguishing mark of Christians is the fact that they have a future. This is what... Uh, distinguishes Christians from pagans. Pagans didn't have any sense that after death there was anything anything was going to happen. I mean, all the great tragedies of Greece and Rome were all predicated on the fact that once you die, it's over, or it's something bad, but it's not going to be something good. He says, they know that their life will not end in emptiness. Only when the future is certain as a positive reality does it become possible to live the present as well? And so, for me, this principle is something we really have to give ourselves to. If I need hope for the future, if it's hard for me to look to the next five minutes or look to tomorrow or ne- look to next year, what is going to give me that hope? It is by paying close attention and being vigilant to what is happening to me right now. Because, as Pope Benedict says in another place, the principle of hope looks beyond the moment and its isolation and seeks the whole. Well, when we are in terrible times and crisis meets us from every possible angle, and when we're forced to be in isolation because of quarantining, etc., what do we sometimes do? All we do is look at the present moment and we get myopic. We, We get very close-minded and and have a very narrow vision. So what the Pope is calling us to is to look beyond the present moment and to pay attention to that certainty about the future, which is the distinguishing mark of the Christian, that no matter how bad things are, we are made for a greatness that is still coming to be in us, and it is drawing us on, and it just asks us to accede to, uh, to it with faith, and belief and trust. Yeah, I, I love that insight about, you know, we need that vigilant attention. We need yeah. to look for it. Um, um, I, I often uh, think about the fact that, you know, bad news sells more than good news. Yep. You know, if you have two newspaper headlines and one of them is, you know, local educator wins a National Teacher of the Year Award, the other one says pack of, of wild wolves terrorizes local shopping mall, you know, Honestly, which one are you going to read first? You know, one of those stories is very good, you know, but one of them gets your adrenaline going. You know, it gets you worried and 
you know, this is something you've got to find out what's going on. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sticky, you know, it sticks in your mind and you can't not think about it once it's been put in your mind. And so, and so, uh, we don't have to seek out bad news, you know, it just comes, you know, it's, it's always there. Uh, and I think, and when there's a lot of bad news, when there's a lot of struggle and crisis and challenge in our lives, um, you can just get overwhelmed by it. Um, and those hopeful things don't have exactly that same character. Um, they have to be sought out sometimes. I think, I mean, another a great image for me for this is, is the, the Magi following the star. You know, the star for them is something that captivates them, but in a quiet way. It's something that isn't going to, like, grab their attention and seize them and shake them, you know. Uh, it's something that they have to look for and follow, something that's very quiet, very beautiful, mm-hmm. um, but not demanding. You know, it's something they have to keep seeking. Uh, and it's something they have to, like, they have to follow in order to, to see where it will lead them. You know, uh, you know, bad news usually is evidently <laughs> bad news. You know, it, it, it is what it is, and it, and it just, there's no mystery <clears throat> about it. You know, like, I guess there could be, but, but hope by its nature, especially that hope in God, you know, we're, we're hoping in someone who is beyond, ultimately, our immediate experience. You know, we're, we're following someone who, who must be followed to be discovered, you know, who must be sought with vigilant attention in order to be found. I mean, the heart of the Christian hope is this exodus from this universe that Christ has engineered, you know, that takes us to a destiny beyond the stars, beyond this universe, you know. And our tendency is to forget that, especially in a materialistic age, you know, uh, especially in an age that's been apostate from the gospel for the past couple hundred years, hmm. uh, refuses, not just won't, just refuses to use the gospel as a way for planning one's life and one's society, uh, that this materialism makes us identify these worldly goods in which you can have a kind of a hope or expectation or even a desire, as I said, you know, for comfort or for pleasure or for security, whatever it is, and miss the point of what this world is for, which is a workbench to produce virtue in us that we may be able to bear the rigors of heaven, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you want. You know, I mean, a workbench is there <clears throat> to be banged up, you know, to, be, to, to take blows and dents and... You know, maybe to shatter, because it's not in the long run. As long as the work gets done, it's fulfilling its purpose, and that's what this universe is for. But we don't think that way. You know, I mean, it is not necessary that the universe continue for human happiness to be eternal. And and uh, and as I said, one is we tend to confuse this in the words because everything is hope. You know, we we hope for that that the new vaccine is successful. We hope that, you know, the great powers maintain peace. That's not the same thing as the hope we're talking about, which is sure and certain and will not be denied. As I said, we've got one word to cover this in English. I was looking at the Old Testament of this, and I can count at least seven different words for specific ways to hope. <laughs> really? In, in, in different ways, yes. You know, so nouns and verbs, you know. Uh, uh, Kawa, kawa to, for instance, especially, which is the idea that, I think this is the closest of the theological hope we're talking about, to stretch out the mind in a straight direction towards it, the, uh, when the object of your expectation, and this is going to be God, you know. Uh, to hope in God, in this sense, is to, uh, to trust directly in him, 
and not worry about the fact that the Assyrians are coming down or the Egyptians are making trouble on your southern border again or that uh, you know that uh, the the king is is uh, and his pagan wife are destroying you know all the prophets of God in the land you know God's plan will be worked out yeah i i, I it reminds me of a story of a friend of mine who was talking to his next-door neighbor, who was a little boy who was sitting in the car in the passenger's side. And he was saying to him, what, what's going on? And he said, oh, we're getting ready to go on, on, a, on a trip. I said, he said, really? Who, who's going? He said, oh, my mom and I were going. And he said, well, where is it? And it was in a different state. And so my friend said to him, well, do you know how to get there? And he said, no. He said, well, aren't you worried about that? He said, no. He said, why aren't you worried? He said, Mom knows. Mm-hmm. And this is hope. Yeah. Okay, so we don't know how we're going to get where we're going, but we know we're going to get there, and we know that the person is driving is to be trusted, and that's what the virtue of hope is all about, is keeping our eye on that one and letting us take us where we, we're destined to go. And all of the things that you've said, but also keeping in mind that hope lifts us up out of our own sins, out of our own infirmity, out of our own darkness, out of our own fears, out of our own depression, and to the extent that we we are willing not to keep sort of like dwelling in those things, but 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 keeping our focus, as Father Stephen says, on the heavens and on the star and yielding to where the star is yielding. Uh, leading us, then then things start to change. You're listening to The Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory here in Columbus. I'm joined in the studio by Father Peter John Cameron and Father Stephen Dominic Hayes, and we've been discussing the virtue of hope, the Christian virtue of hope, and how hope can lift us out of our darkness um, how hope can can draw us not in the same way that that bad news crashes and 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 falls and and falls right in our lap, but but the way that hope can can lead us out of of that darkness if we pursue it, if we're vigilant and and pay attention to it. Um, how this world is really only a workbench to to um, produce those virtues in us to produce saints. And uh, and that's one thing I think that that we can look to uh, for hope are examples of hope. You know, living examples of of people that do have this virtue, that do uh, have that amazing ability, and sometimes in the middle of the deepest darkness, um, to smile. Um, not because they're Pollyannas, not because um, they're they're just you know uh, in denial, but but because they see, because they see much further than everyone else does. Um, you know, I think sometimes of, uh, you know, people like St. Therese of Lisieux, who um, lived a very um, small, constricted life from a physical perspective, who had all kinds of reasons uh, to be discouraged. Um, and yet, you know, um, when, when you read her, her story of a soul, um, you, you read someone who has a soul that is expansive, someone whose soul embraces the whole world, someone who um, can never forget the joy that is promised to her by, by her Lord. Um, 
Which takes us right to the to the question of where does hope come from? Because, you know, it's great to talk about hope and the theological virtue, et cetera, but if somebody is hopeless, feeling hopeless, mm-hmm. the, 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 the urgent question for them is, okay, well, how do I get this hope if I don't have it? And and the example of Therese is a great one because as terrible as, you know, for example, the sufferings, the, the physical suffering she endured and the loss, she lost her mother when she was just a little girl. The thing is, she was completely surrounded by love, by her father, by her sisters, by her, her extended family. And in that same encyclical, Pope ben- then Pope Benedict XVI says, to have hope means to know that we are definitively loved and that whatever happens to us, we are awaited by love. And that's why for the Christian, such a, a, an essential part of their everyday meditation has to be on the fact of how God loves them and that God is loving them. I love what St. Thomas Aquinas says about this. He says, we can have hope and we, for one simple reason. And what is that? Because we belong to God. And this is why what Father Hayes said about baptism is so critical. It wasn't our idea to be baptized. It was God's idea for him to give us his life. And the more we return to that and we live from that belonging, no matter how much our lives are fraying at the edges, the belonging is always going to win out. Another thing St. Thomas Aquinas says is, the nearer a being stands to God, the further away it is from nothingness. And when the nothingness seems to overwhelm us, the sim- what St. Thomas says is we simply have to change where we're standing, change our position, and just get closer to the one who has called us, who's claimed us. We have a sacramental seal on our soul because of baptism. If anybody were to rip us open, that's what they would see. Oh, this, this being belongs, belongs to God. And we need to live with that, that same certainty at every moment, especially when the darkness impinges. I heard a great uh, preacher one time say, um, you know, it's not who you are, it's whose you are. Wow. You know, it, yeah. it fits into that, that, you know, we, we sometimes worry about, well, who am I? You know, what do people think about me? What, who do people say that I am? You know, like who, you know, uh, how, how is my own worth or value or, you know, dependent on, on what people think of me or what I can accomplish or what I can do? You know, in the end, that that doesn't matter nearly so much as, as whose I am, that I belong to someone, that I'm to love definitively no matter what, um, and, that, and that's what gives me that hope. The Catechism brings forward the example of the friend of God, Abraham, mm-hmm. and his wrestling with hope. And I think maybe even the darkest, the darkest uh, despair opens up when you, you think even God is against you. And uh, the temptation there, you know, in the, in, the, in the testing, his testing with Isaac. You know, he waits dozens of years for this, the promise that he will have a son. That, uh, and the son come, finally comes. And now the son is about 12 years old. And God says, you know, through his angel, that he says to sacrifice him, to give him up. You, you know, he wants the son sacrificed. Now, one might say in prophecies, are we talking about Isaac or are we talking about Jesus? Because he's also a son of Abraham. You know, um, but but in this case, you know, the particular testing, I mean, why is God doing this? It's not that God doesn't know what's in Abraham's heart. It's that Abraham needs to see what's in his heart and why he serves. Does he serve for the blessing? Because that hope would be an earthly hope. Does he serve with just the problem, the thing of progeny? You know, uh, an, an existence beyond his own? 
you know, that would be to be a mercenary. You know, does he serve God because God is God? And that's what he chooses when he lifts the knife and God stops. And then he, you know, provides another one who is to take the place of Isaac, a ram who comes to its doom with its head wreathed in thorns. Mm. You know, prophecy, yes, but I think also in the moment you see this hope he's called to, even when God seems, is God taking away the blessing for which I've been living with him? Why am I serving? Ultimately go back, God is God, I am not. You know, I serve him because he is God. Now, in our age of grace, this is a sweeter path than Abraham's, I think, because we know of the Father's love that has been revealed to us by the Son and communicated to us in the Holy Sacraments and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, that this is a sweeter or a sweeter thing. The other thing about the Abraham story, and uh-huh. so I, um, I, I'm, I'm ashamed if uh, this is something that I should have known, but I didn't know it until I just read it in a book, <laughs> is this, that um, when, when he is there on Mount Moriah, is that mm-hmm. where, yep. and, and, and he's holding Couple the knife, and he's, and, he's, and he's willing to go through this, this terrible act, mm-hmm. He's not expecting that it's going to end with the death of his son. He's expecting that after he kills Isaac, he's living with the hope that God is going to resurrect him. I never knew that before. That's a that's a lovely meditation. I what, just what I, book is that? In this book I mentioned to you by the the Jesuit Paul Quay. Oh right. Okay. That. Okay, I'll, I will kill him, but I know that it's not going to end, that you're going to give my son back to me in a way that only you can give him back to me. That somehow your will will be done. Yeah. Even, I think of Mary staying at the foot of the cross looking at her dead son. Yes. And if I were the devil, I would say, I preached this before, if I were the devil, that's when I would attack Mary and you know, say, you know, so this is a son's real nations. It looks pretty dead to me, you know. Uh, but she maintains her... Her faith, she maintained, she, we see her again, you know, surrounded with the Holy Spirit in the Pentecost. Uh, she, I mean, this, but this kind of, uh, and I think this is actually, this is actually very practical, because I think this is where, in my pastoral experience, where most people get attacked by the devil. It's precisely on hope to drive a wedge between faith and charity. This is the, this is the one that, that links the two. This is the one that, uh, Gives us a, a firm confidence and expectation that, however, however dark things are, God's will will be done, and we can trust in that. But this is where He attacks us. I think the church is being called to a purification and to a, a new and deeper awareness of the virtue of hope and, and of living it with a kind of resiliency that maybe we've never been summoned to before. Or not recently, anyhow. Yeah, yeah. Not in my lifetime. Yeah. yeah, certainly not in my lifetime. No, I mean hope is powerful. I, I'm a, I'm a great fan of the philosopher who probably died a Catholic. She was catechized by Dominicans. Her name is Simone Weil. Mm-hmm. She lived during the Second World War. But she says, hope is the knowledge that the evil we bear within us is finite. So very often when we experience our own evil, the evil of our sin, the evil of our inability, the evil of our, our, our regrets, etc., we think that um, there is nothing greater than that in our life. But hope is the knowledge that the evil that we bear within us isn't infinite. It's finite. It has boundaries. And she says, 
and that the slightest turning of the will towards good, though it should be la- should last but an instant, any turning of the will towards good destroys a little of that evil. That's what it means to live by hope. No matter how much evil we see in ourselves, we take measures to turn uh, towards the good, and that can be by kissing a crucifix, by doing an act of charity, by saying a Hail Mary, by blessing ourselves. Mm-hmm. There, there are very many simple, doable means by which we can put ourselves at a distance from the darkness and the evil and turn ourselves to the good. And in so, by so doing, by living the virtue of hope, the theological virtue of hope, we destroy a little bit of evil in the world. Yeah, that's, I think that's so often the, the temptation that opposes hope, the temptation of despair is to think that this, this dark cloud is something I'll never get out of. There's yeah. no way out. It's never going to get better, mm. you know. Um, and we see that in other people, you know, people who suffer in all kinds of, even people that suffer from depression, you know, like it's clear that they're inside of this cloud and they don't think they'll ever get out, you know. Mm. Um, but but that, that beautiful, you know, truth that evil is finite, yeah. you know. It's, it's the darkness that's finite. It's yeah. not the hope that's, that's finite. There's another insight of St. Thomas Aquinas who says that the human capacity for joy is much, much greater than our capacity for sorrow or sadness. Mm. So even though we do like the the bad news stories in the newspaper, we can only take so many much of that before we 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 start craving joy and happiness. Mm. And even even in in places of utter depravity and of just uh, a, a total um, uh, wickedness and evil, like the concentration camps, there are stories of joy that that came from there, not because people were trivializing the evil that that they were being subjected to, but because that was what was required in order to be able to continue to live the hope mm-hmm. that gave them the strength to survive. Mm-hmm. Again, being hammered out. Yeah, you know, adversity shows our metal. You know, it brings out. As in Abraham and the saints and the, the, the uh, situations you're talking about, you know, the good and the bad in us, you know, proves our mettle and increases our virtue or magnifies our vice. Father Steve, do, do the people know about Blessed Margaret of Castello? Uh, many of them do, but she's a great example of, of someone who had every reason to be discouraged and bitter, you know, blind, crippled, um, Deserted, you know, by her, deserted by her parents, <laughs> but yet she had an unconquerable joy inside of her that, that, is, that she's a great example of hope. Thank you for joining us today for the Dominican Dimensions. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. I've been joined in the studio today by my brothers, Father Peter uh, John Cameron and Father Stephen Dominic Hayes. Let's now end in our prayer, invoking the intercession of St. Dominic. O light, light of, of the, the church, church, teacher of truth, truth. Rose of patience, ivory of chastity, freely you have poured forth the waters of wisdom. Preacher of grace, unite us with the blessed. Amen. Dominican Dimensions is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Dominican Dimensions and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com. Veni, Sancti.